It was last Sunday when we celebrated that time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, a symbol of humility, a symbol of servanthood. And then it was on Friday, just a few days ago, that we remembered what he did by going to the cross, willingly saying, I'm going to allow myself to die for the sins of humanity. And by going to the cross, Jesus proved that he really truly was the humble servant rather than the reigning king, that he came to seek and save and serve the lost. But then three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. He defeated death, and he did it for you and for me. And today we come around Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, celebrating the fact that Jesus is not dead. He is truly alive. And he did so, and he demonstrated just how powerful he was. But Jesus, what he did, it wasn't arbitrary. It wasn't spontaneous. He wasn't a self-consumed rabbi that got caught up in his popularity and what was going on in that day there in that age. Jesus, I want you to hear this today, Jesus was on a mission from God, a specific intentional mission from God to come to this earth for the purpose of dying a brutal death so that we could have forgiveness of sins. And he came on a mission from God to then defeat death so that we could have life in heaven with God one day. Jesus was on a specific intentional mission from God. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he willingly allowed himself to be beaten. That's why he rose again from the dead because he was on a mission. But why was it Jesus? What was specifically special about him that allowed him to be the only one that could die for the sins of humanity? Why, why was it only Jesus who could be on that mission from God? Why couldn't God have done this in some different way? Those are some of the questions that we are wrestling with last week and now this week as we talk about the fact that only Jesus could have done what God intended to with all of humanity. And today, we bring that together and talk about how only Jesus was the one who could defeat death so that we could have life in heaven with God one day. Well, happy Easter, everyone. Hope you're doing well. My name's Todd. For those of you I don't know, I'm the lead pastor here. And I want to thank you so much for being here today. Um, I, I know some of you probably are in from out of town. Some of you are guests. I'm glad that you're here if it's your first time. For those of you who are listening to our podcast, thank you for being here. When you walked in today, you were given notes, and I want to draw your attention to those notes. You can follow along with the message today through those notes, or if you would prefer, you can take your device and tablet or whatever you, know, you have that connects with the internet, and you can get on our website, and you can access the notes there. So Jesus was the one that God chose to solve the problem that humanity had. He was the one that was chosen to solve this issue. But uh, today on this Easter Sunday in 2014, I want to take one step back. And I want us to think about and I want us to consider what exactly was the problem. 
I mean, here we are in 2014, and we celebrate, and millions and millions of people around the earth will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why did he have to die in the first place? Why did he have to defeat death in the first place? What was the problem that needed to be solved And why was Jesus the solution? Let's talk about the problem that needed to be solved. You know, we as humans, we have a a real issue. We, We have a real dilemma that needs to be solved. And there's kind of two parts to the reality of the God man story. And I want to try to communicate this as clearly as possible today. You see, here's the first part is that the reality is, is that God is perfect. God is perfect. The psalmist wrote, and he said, evil cannot even dwell with God. And Habakkuk said, one of the prophets in the Old Testament said, that um, God cannot even look upon evil. And, And we think of that word evil in this day and age, and we think of some kind of sinister, like deep, dark evil. But God here was using specific people to communicate that evil equates with sin. And so the problem is, is that God, the creator of the heavens and earth, is a perfect being. And that's the reality of it. And some of you are like, why is he using the word problem? Well, the problem lies in the fact that we aren't, right? We're not. In fact, that's the second part of the reality. Man is sinful. Romans 3.23 says that all humans have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We'll talk about that in a moment. You see, we left to ourselves, we missed the mark. You see, we're over here and God is perfect and he's completely righteous and he's totally holy and then there's us, humanity. And we've done a good job of messing things up, haven't we? And we're over on this other side and we're flawed and we're imperfect and we have sin. And so the dilemma that we have, the problem, in fact, 1 John 1.8 says that if you think that you don't have sin, you're deceiving yourself. And so you have this dilemma, and the dilemma is that our sin separates us from God. Our dilemma is that there is literally, I want you to capture this, there is a gap in the God-man story. God is perfect, he's holy, He's completely righteous, something that we can't even wrap our minds around. God is completely holy. And the problem, the dilemma that we have is that we are completely sinful. We are all born into it. We can't help it. It's the human sin nature. And there's this gap between a perfect God and a sinful man. Isaiah 59, 2 says that sin separates us from God. And Paul in Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of sin is eternal death. Do you see our dilemma? Do you see the problem? Do you see the problem that needs to be solved? And it's interesting, we kind of talked about this last week, that we as humans, um, we like to have options. We like to solve problems in in many different ways. And and let's face it, um, the problems that we have in life, um, many of them can be solved in multiple ways, can't they? I mean, if you have a relationship problem, it can be solved in several different ways, can't it? If you have a financial issue, if you have a financial problem, it can be solved in several different ways. There are different options. 
If you have a business problem, if your business is in trouble, you can solve that issue and that problem in a variety of different ways. But the dilemma, the spiritual dilemma that we all share, each one of us, no, no, no one's different in here than anyone else, the dilemma that we all have is that spiritually, there was really only one solution to the gap between a perfect God and a sinful man. There are not, I want you to hear this today, there are not multiple different, a variety of different ways to get to God. There's one way. And if you're in here today and you believe God's word, the Bible, to be true, you have to believe. If you believe it's true, then you have to believe that God had one solution to this dilemma that we're talking about today. And that one solution was Jesus Christ. Christ, his only son. He was the solution. You see, to solve the dilemma of our sin and the perfection that God had, there was someone that needed to be the sacrifice that took perfection, it required perfection. And so today we're going to be taking a look at the fact that it was only Jesus who could have been that substitute. It was only Jesus that could have solved the dilemma. Take a look at your notes this morning. Point number one. We're just going to dive right in. Point number one. Only Jesus is the perfect substitute for our sins. Only Jesus is the perfect substitute for our sins. You see, perfection was required to get to God. If God is perfect, then perfection is required to get to him, to have a relationship with him. Peter says this in 1 Peter. Peter wrote two different books of the Bible. They, they were 1 and 2 Peter. Um, real complicated there. But anyway, 1 Peter 1, um, 18 and 19 says this. I want you to take a look at this. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or without spot. Now, when I read that, most of you and probably most all of us would read that and go, what, what, what does that mean? Why are, we, why are we talking about that verse? Why are we talking about the blood of a lamb on Easter? Come on, Todd. What's going on here? But in this verse contains the gospel message. It's incredible. If you take a second look at it and you really study it and really kind of read through it, you'll find in here the good news of God sending Jesus to this earth to die and then to defeat death. I love this. Let's take a look at it very closely. There's, a, there's kind of two parts to the dilemma that Peter points out here. The first is he says that we were ransomed from the futile way inherited from our forefathers. Knowing you were ransomed from the futile way inherited from your forefathers. Let's stop there for a moment. Essentially what Peter is saying in this instance is that your heritage, your family heritage does not gain you acceptance with God. And so the readers of this letter in the first century would have been shocked because many of them, I want you to capture this, many of them were hanging their hat on the fact that because their family was religious, that they would be accepted by God. 
And so this message would have been a shocking message to the readers in the first century. Peter is saying here that you are not justified because of your family, because of your heritage. I would imagine that there are probably many of you who are in here today who may think the way some of those first century people thought. Like, I was born into a Christian family. Man, my family went to church. I mean, we weren't just Easter and Christmas. We were like 52 weeks a year. We went to church. And because my family had this faith, then certainly God will accept me. Peter says if we believe that, we are lying to ourselves. Because what is required What is required to be justified in the eyes of a perfect God is for you and me as humans to believe ourselves and not to ride the coattails of our family faith. I was born into a Christian home, and my parents were fantastic models of what a a Christian mom and dad are like. We went to church as much as we can, as much as we could. We weren't traveling. We, we were in church. I mean, we were in church on a regular basis. And, and it's really neat because the story of the Christian heritage in my family goes back to the 1920s. My grandmother on my mom's side of the family, she was saved. She accepted Jesus Christ as her personal savior at a Billy Sunday evangelistic conference in the 1920s. And it's really cool, I have, um, I have a little track in the front of one of my Bibles um, from that conference, from the 1920s. It's, um, I, I said in the last service, it's one of my favorite possessions, and then I realized I have two kids and a wonderful wife, and so it's not one of my favorite possessions, but it's a really neat possession, okay? It's really cool. And I'm a history guy, so I love that, so that's pretty cool. So my, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, was saved at a Billy Sunday uh, a, a conference. And so um, I'm standing here today because at that moment, Christian heritage was inserted into the family line of the Boyd and Cullen family. That's the two names there, actually Heisey Boyd and Cullen family. You see, because my great-grandmother accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior, she communicated that to my grandmother, and she accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And because of that, my mother then heard the good news of the gospel in their house, and she accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And family heritage, when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ, is important. The problem is, is that many of us think that that is going to save us. And I would be remiss, I'd be a terrible pastor if I didn't boldly point out that your family's faith does not save you. It's your faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and him defeating death that saves you. That's what allows you, an imperfect person, to have justification with a perfect God and to one day see him in heaven. We'll talk about that in a moment. It's not because of your family faith, Peter says. Secondly, he says, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. We like to solve our problems with money, don't we? 
When we started our church uh, in uh, 2007, we started off and we were in one place uh, meeting and we had this trailer that we would load everything in on Sunday morning and uh, everybody worked hard. We had a bunch of uh, people that worked hard. I almost said guys, but there were a lot of ladies there too. A bunch of people that would load all the stuff out of the trailer and we would have our church services and then we'd load it back in the trailer and we would do that every Sunday. And then we got kicked out of that place. And then we moved into another place, and we couldn't meet there anymore, and we moved into another place. And we were, for the first year and a half, we were like, you know, Hilton Head Island Community Church, where we were low country at the time, but worship with us if you can find us. It was one of those situations. Like, if you can find us on this island, you can worship with us. So good luck. But it was interesting, in the beginning days of us loading in and loading out, um, I had a, a good friend look at me uh, one day, and he said, Todd, this is exhausting. Can't we just pay someone to load this stuff up and set it up? And can't we just pay someone else to load it back in and do it? I'm like, man, that sounds like a great idea. I like that idea. It highlights the fact that we want everything in our lives, if we just write a check for it, if we can solve the problems of our lives by just giving some money to it, then we're good. Like, God, why couldn't you just allow me to write a check for my salvation and my justification and my acceptance by you? And God said, I have a better way. I have Jesus. And that's what verse 19 says, with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I want you to hear something today. You can't come to faith in Christ and you can't gain access to God when you die. You can't have eternity in heaven because of your family heritage. You can't have it because of all the good works that you think that you do. You can't have it because you've written checks over the years that equate to a lot of money to nonprofit organizations and community organizations. You can't do it because you do good work and you serve your neighbor friend who lives across the street. All those things are great things, but not one of them gains you acceptance into the family of God. Are you with me this morning? It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that you can have eternal life. And that leads me to the second point, the second distinguishing thing about only Jesus. Only Jesus' blood poured out in death covers the sins of humanity. I know it's Easter. We're supposed to be talking about the resurrection, not the cross, right? But it is so vitally important. And only Jesus lived a perfect life. Only his blood poured out in death could cover the sins of humanity see, Jesus' life, as good as it was, in itself wasn't enough. Jesus' miracles in themselves wasn't enough for us to have heaven one day, for us to have a relationship with God the Father. Jesus' works and his words and his life, as good as they were, wasn't enough. Jesus' crucifixion wasn't enough. It was his blood that covers our sins. So in some respects, his crucifixion was exactly enough. Only Jesus' blood poured out in death could cover our sins. Look at what Paul says in the book of Romans, inspired by God's Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 3. He says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That fall short there, he used a word in the Greek, harmardia, which literally means missing the mark. 
when he wrote this and the people in Rome received it, they would have known the picture that Paul was trying to communicate to the church there in Rome. It was the picture of an archer that would pull back his, his uh, bow and arrow and the arrow would miss the mark. And he says, all of us have missed the mark. We all fall short of the glory of God. And we are justified, there's that word, by his what? Grace. As a what? What's that next word? Gift. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. We're going to come back to that in a moment because that's not a very common word. By his, what's that next word? Blood. By his blood. A propitiation by his blood. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance. We're going to talk about that word in a moment, a little more familiar word, but we'll talk about it in a moment. He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There are two words that I want you to understand today. They are words that we don't use in our English language. I mean, try this week to use propitiation in a common conversation. Just give it a try. It'll be tough. Propitiation. What does that mean, propitiation? It literally means a way to pacify the anger of and to regain good standing with an offended person a way to pacify the anger of and to regain good standing with an offended person. You see, we have to face the fact that our sin offends God. The Bible says he can't even look on it. So our sin is the reason that there's this gap between us and God, and it offends him. Propitiation is a way to pacify the anger of and to retain or regain good standing with an offended person. This happens in our house every week. And if you have children, you understand propitiation because they do something to anger mom and dad, right? At least that's the way it works in our house. They anger us and then they try to do something to pacify that anger. Usually it involves a hug and it works Every time, doesn't it, moms and dads? I mean, we'd rather have them give us money, wouldn't we? (laughs) But when they open their arms, it pacifies the anger that Cynthia and I have towards them because of what they've done in our parenting conferences next week. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Propitiation is a way to pacify the anger of and regain good standing with an offended person. Jesus Christ whom God put forward is that propitiation by his what? Blood. His blood had to be shed to pacify the anger of God towards our sin. That was the solution to our problem. The second word, forbearance. Forbearance literally means tolerance on behalf of an offended person. So Jesus becomes the way to pacify God, and God says that he gives us forbearance tolerance on behalf of an offended person. I find this incredibly ironic because the world says that the Christian faith is the most intolerant of faiths. Yet God, in his word to us, uses a word that says that he becomes tolerant of our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
not by anything that we do, not by any works, not by any money, not by any gifts, but through the blood of Christ. The church doesn't like to talk about the blood of Christ in this day and age. Modern churches don't often talk about the blood of Jesus Christ, but I'm here to tell you today that blood had to be shed, that perfect blood had to be shed for this gap between us and God, this separation between a perfect God and sinful man to be closed. And it was only Jesus who lived a life that was worthy of our sins being forgiven. And lastly, only Jesus defeated death and offers life in heaven with God the Father after we die. This is the great part of Easter, isn't it? I mean, I'm so glad that it doesn't end with a body in a tomb. I'm so glad it doesn't end with a, with a fake and phony trial. And I'm so glad that it doesn't end with Jesus just hanging on the cross. He was put in a tomb. And listen, if you're a skeptic here today, I want to speak to you for a moment. Each of the Gospels has the same account of Jesus not being there on Sunday. Each of the Gospels has the same account of the stone that was rolled away. And Jesus' cloths that he was wrapped in, that he was buried in, were there. But his body was gone. Jesus was gone. He was alive The tomb was empty. That's the good news of the Easter story. And it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we now can have eternity in heaven with God when we die. Jesus said this when he uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. Just before he went into Jerusalem on the the week of Holy Week, um, he was outside of Jerusalem in this little place called Bethany and Bethpage, kind of a little village area outside of Jerusalem. We talked about it last week. And in that village, he raised this man to life named Lazarus. And Lazarus's sisters were really concerned about this. And Jesus said, before he raised him to life, he said to her, Mary or Martha, "I, um, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, what's that next word? I want you to say it again. Whoever what? Believes in me. Though he die, yet shall he live. Listen, the moment of death for us is final. There's no coming back to life. When we die, we have to have made this decision. We have to have either rejected Jesus and face eternity, not in heaven but in hell, Or we accept Jesus and we live forever with God in eternity because of the justification that he provided on the cross. To take advantage of what Christ did on the cross, we must believe. Look at what Jesus said in John 14, verse 6. He said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. It was only Jesus who could provide the forgiveness of sin. It was only Jesus who lived that perfect life. And it was only Jesus who defeated death. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. Is because of that, we can have life in heaven with God when we die. If we, what's the word? Believe. If we believe. There's a man by the name of Lee Strobel. 
He didn't believe, but then he came to faith. I want to read you a portion of his testimony because I have a feeling it may connect with some of you who came in today, and maybe you're a doubter, maybe you're a skeptic, maybe you're like Lee was, an atheist. Listen to this. He says, for most of my life, I was an atheist. I thought the idea of an all-loving, all-powerful creator of the universe, I thought it was stupid. I mean, my background is in journalism and law. I tend to be a skeptical person. I was the legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, so I needed evidence before I believe anything. One day, my wife came up to me. She had been an agnostic, and she said after a period of spiritual investigation that she had decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I thought, Lee says, you know, this is the worst possible news that I could get. I thought she was going to turn into some sexually repressed prude who was going to spend all of her time serving the poor in Skid Row somewhere. I thought this was the end of our marriage. I love how he jumped to that conclusion. Men, we do that, don't we? That's another sermon for another day. Anyway, he says this, but in the ensuing months, I saw positive changes in her values and in her characters and the way that she related to me. So I went to church one day, mainly to see if I could get her out of this cult that she had gotten involved in. But I heard the message of Jesus articulated for the first time in a way that I could understand it. That forgiveness is a free gift. And that Jesus died for our sins. That we might spend eternity with him. And I walked out saying, I'm still an atheist. But I also walked out saying, if this is true, this has huge implications for my life. And so I used my journalism training and my legal training to begin an investigation into whether there was any credibility to Christianity or to any other world faith system for that matter. I did that for a year and nine months until November the 8th of 1991. And on that day, I realized in light of the torrent of evidence flowing in the direction of the truth of Christianity, it would require, please don't miss this today. He says, it would require more faith for me to remain in my atheism than to become a Christian. He says, because to become an atheist, I would have to swim upstream against this torrent of evidence pointing towards the truth of Jesus Christ, and I could not do that. I was trained in journalism, he says, and law to respond to truth. And so on that day, I received Jesus Christ as my forgiver and my leader. Now, some of you are here today, and maybe you are like Lee Strobel was. Maybe you have been a skeptic of Christianity for a long time. Listen, that's okay. This is a safe place for that. This is a place where you need to work that out. But Lee came to the conclusion after a year and nine months of investigation that Jesus' claims and what he did was the truth. And so my question to you today is what is your response to the Easter story? See, only Jesus could pay the price for your entrance into heaven. Have you accepted his offer? Listen, it's a free offer. It doesn't cost you anything. There's no checklist. It's not like today you're going to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and on your way out we're going to hand you a checklist of other things. There's no bait and switch 
It is a free gift that he's offering. And my challenge to you today, my invitation to you today is if you're here today and you've never believed, my challenge to you today is just belief. The caveat for this whole message is belief, is trust. To connect a perfect God to a sinful man is, means you, by yourself, believing what Jesus did on the cross and believing that he rose again from the dead. Your faith family history is not going to get you there. Your good works won't get you there. Money won't get you there. Only faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ will get you there. So today, if you're in this room and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior in a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. But I wanted you to read a way to go about this. I tried to make it as simple as possible. In fact, simple as ABC. How do you I respond to Jesus? Number one, A, admit that you're a sinner. Secondly, believe in your heart. Believe in your heart. And finally, see, confess with your mouth. We'll talk about that in a moment. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes today? The Apostle Paul explained simply in his letter to the Romans in chapter 10, verse 9. He said, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And in a few minutes, in a few moments, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'm going to invite you. In fact, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to implore you to follow along with me in that prayer. But before we do that, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in here today and you want to say yes to Jesus, if you want to pray this prayer in a moment that I'm going to pray, I'm just going to ask you simply to raise your hand and look up at me. I promise you I'm not going to make you stand or come down here or anything. I just want to see your hand. If you want to say yes to Jesus for the very first time, would you raise your hand and keep it up and look up at me for just a moment? See in the back. Anyone else in here today? We want to say yes to Jesus. Something that was said, something that was sung, some visual you saw on the screen really connected. And you said, you know what? I can't trust in my family faith. I can't trust in my good works. I've got to put my faith in Jesus. If you're here today and you want to say yes to him, just raise your hand and keep it up. Anyone else in this room? If you just raised your hand and looked up at me, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer. The words aren't important. It's how much you mean them. It's the intent of your heart. It's a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me enough to send your son to die for my sins. Today, I admit that I'm a sinner. And today, I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. Listen, before we stop praying and before everyone looks up, I'm just going to ask you to, to just look up at me if you prayed that prayer with me this morning. Just look up at me for a second. Let's see a few of you. I want to encourage you to do something. If you prayed that prayer along with me today, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want to encourage you to take that worship 
page that you received when you came in, those notes, and at the bottom of that is a card, a little connection card. Fill that out. Let us know about your decision today. Tear that off and take it back to Kelly. She wants to give you a free gift back at the guest service desk. It's important. It's so important that you have help in this new faith walk that you found. So I want to challenge you and encourage you to do that today. Father, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you, God, that we can have eternal life in heaven with you because we choose to believe. And God, I thank you that you didn't remain on the cross. You didn't remain in that tomb. But God, you chose to defeat death. You chose to raise yourself to life. And because of that, because of the whole story of Easter, we one day get to see you in heaven. One day we can be with you and we can experience you in all of your glory. Thank you, God, for eternal life that we can have through salvation in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray for those who are in here today who just made commitments to you. Maybe they didn't raise their hand. Maybe they didn't look up. But God, I pray that you would help anchor them in their faith walk. God, I pray that you would help anchor them with a group of people that can help them grow in their faith. God, I pray that they would help anchor themselves in you and your word to us. And God, that they would receive freedom from the guilt and the shame of a past or sin. And God, that they would walk in the freedom that you offer. God, I pray for those who came in here today who are already Christ followers. God, help us to be aware of the fullest meaning of the Easter time. God, we thank you for what you are doing and what you did. And God, we give you all the praise and all the glory. And God, your word says that there's power in your name. And today we rejoice and we sing to you because your name is so powerful and it's so worthy. In Jesus' name I pray.